there is no perfect Christmas. Are you aware of that? Uh, it's not going to happen tonight or tomorrow, okay? Uh, that kind of stuff happens, and I, I think it makes it. Uh, I'm surprised it didn't go chaotic over here because Jody told me she was just praying because she thought older brother was going to light the candle and younger brother was going to blow it out after he lit it, just like that's the way it goes, you know? Um, there's no perfect Christmas. There's no perfect uh, time with family. Those, there is no perfect family. But what there is is a perfect Savior, okay? And that's what we get to celebrate in this season, that though life is broken and things aren't perfect, there is a perfect Savior. But some of us, I think, live with kind of a low level of guilt or disappointment that Christmas isn't as perfect as we wanted it to be, okay? You didn't get that gift, kids. You're not going to get that gift you wanted tomorrow. Just kidding. Maybe you will. I don't know. Uh, there's a little bit of tension at the family table, whatever it is, but there isn't a perfect Christmas. And in fact, I read, uh, ran across an article last week in the USA Today. It's an op-ed piece by a guy named Daniel Darling. And Daniel Darling, the title of his op-ed piece is this. It's pretty long, but it says, The Real Christmas Story is a subversive tale about a new start for a corrupt world. And his op-ed piece, what he's saying is basically we all feel like, you know, we have to look our best and have the perfect meal and everything on the tree look great and under the tree meet all the needs and we cook and bake and we prepare this whole season leading up to it. But the reality is it never is what we hope for completely. And some of us have this low level of guilt about, you know what? I'm not as merry as I feel like I'm supposed to be in this season. I know I'm supposed to say Merry Christmas, but life is kind of broken. And I don't feel as joyful as the, the season uh, tells me that it's supposed to be. Listen to Daniel Darling's words here. He says, some of us dread this time of year because it serves as an annual reminder of lost love or broken friendship. Others living in a meager existence wonder how they'll feed their families, much less give gifts to the children at their, at their home. Still for, other, for others, there's an empty space at the table where a loved one once sat. I think of families in Newtown for whom December is still a bleak midwinter, seven years after evil stole 20 young lives. I think of refugee families huddled in tents in foreign countries, fleeing in terror and unwanted by the world. And those are pretty dramatic, but he goes on, uh, violence, suffering, loss. These realities seem so incongruent with our modern notion of Christmas when we're expected to summon up false expressions of happiness and pretend the world is okay. For many, for most, it's just too hard. One of the lesser-known uh, Christmas songs, uh, many of you will know it, but it's by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and he wrote the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, on Christmas of 1863. And some of you familiar with that Christmas carol know the story of it, perhaps, but 
1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was uh, not particularly joyous or merry. He had just lost his wife uh, two brief years ago to a tragic fire, and he had found out on December 1st that his oldest son, who had gone to fight in the Civil War against his permission, against his father's permission, had come down with typhoid fever and had then recently been very gravely wounded uh, and a bullet had missed his spine by about an inch. And as Longfellow got the news of this, he rushed to D.C. to meet his son who was fighting for his life, ended up living. Um, But on Christmas Day, amidst the difficulty in his life, he heard the bells of Christmas in this time of merriment. And so the first verse goes, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And it goes on for several more verses, but then it gets uh, later in the song where he realizes that his heart is not where most people are in Christmas. And so he says, and in despair, I bowed my head There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then he remembered the truth of Christmas, and then he writes the next verse this, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God's not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. What Longfellow realized is that Christ had come to bring light into darkness, to bring joy in the midst of sorrow. And that is exactly the situation that the Israelites found themselves in as they awaited the first coming of Jesus. In fact, that was the situation the Israelites found themselves in many times, even prior to Jesus' coming. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus would be born, wrote this at that time. Isaiah 9-2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And what the prophet Isaiah was saying is that in the midst of darkness, God was bringing light. And he would bring the ultimate light, the light of the world, when Jesus would enter our world. The Gospel of John, as the Apostle John writes his gospel, he doesn't begin with the birth story of Jesus. He actually begins further back than that in eternity past. The first words of the Gospel of John describe Jesus as the Word, the message of God, and then the Word made flesh, the Word that became human and was born that Christmas day. John chapter 1, the first five verses, John writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now let me just say that again. In the beginning, the Genesis beginning, before anything else, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, 
And the Word was with God. Jesus was with God, the Father and the Spirit. And the Word was God. He himself was God, Jesus, in the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. He emphasizes it again, verse 2. All things were made through him, Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4. Here's our theme. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Apostle John is saying, light has come in the midst of darkness, and no darkness can overcome or will overcome the light of Jesus. And that's what Longfellow was reminded of as he penned those words. That wrong shall fail eventually, and right will prevail with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And that's the hope of Christmas that light has come into the darkness, that a Savior has been sent who will bring a new kingdom, that wrongs will be righted, that there will be justice, and that a kingdom of peace will come. So Darling concludes his article this way. He writes, So the message of Christmas is not that you have to hide your pain and stash away your sorrow in some imaginary retelling of the story. Bring your pain to the one who offers rest. Advent, Christmas, is full of joy and sorrow, light and darkness. That child Jesus, that child beckons, whether you think it is the most wonderful time of the year or you're just trying to make it through December. And it's been a hard year for many. I look around here at people in this room that have gone through difficulty, that have lost loved ones, that are grieving an empty seat at Christmas this year. I look at others who have had a difficult diagnosis or others that have just been in pain or turmoil and we've even had turmoil as a church family this year and it's been difficult there's pain but light has come in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it in another wonderful Christmas song that we sing joy to the world the third verse that we sang earlier I love this verse, Joy to the World, Isaac Watts. No more let sin and sorrows grow. This is the hope of Christmas. Jesus has come, therefore, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes, Jesus comes, to make the blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. See, there is darkness and not all of life is blessings. And we don't have to fake it about that at Christmas and put on a fake smile because the true meaning of Christmas is that Jesus has come to promise us and to give us, to offer us joy in the midst of sorrow, light and hope in the midst of darkness. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote this 
He said, the celebration of Advent is only possible to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Light has come. That's what we celebrate today. That light has come in Jesus. And the difficulties that you have faced in 2019, the difficulty that's going through your mind right now or the brokenness in your heart right now is not the end of the story, but God has come in Jesus to give us joy in the midst of sorrow, hope in the midst of pain. The Apostle Paul writes it like this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. He says, We are giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. For those that put their faith in Jesus Christ as the King, as the Messiah, as the light of the world, we are transferred from this kingdom that's full of darkness into a new kingdom of light. And Jesus said that if we trust him, when he returns one day, and he will return one day, we will be a part of his new kingdom that is a kingdom of light, joy, and peace, and life eternal. If Christmas is really real, that's the hope that we have. That's the good news of great joy that we get to celebrate today and every day because wrong shall fail and right will prevail and there will be peace on earth. Do you believe that today? Do you have that hope tonight? Boy, I encourage you to consider not just the festivities of Christmas, but to consider the person of Christ. If you don't have the hope of Jesus, what hope do you have in this life or what hope do you have after this life, if not him? But if light has come, and the darkness has not overcome it, then you and I can have peace and hope even if there's an empty chair at the table, even if there's a broken heart, even if there's a dark cloud that hangs over Christmas this year. We can have hope because light has come and the darkness has not overcome it. Will you bow with me and pray? Father God, we come to you tonight and I am so thankful that we do not have to be perfect people and we do not have to put on a perfect Christmas pageant or a perfect celebration tonight or tomorrow, but we can freely admit that life is broken, that this world is broken and that our hearts are broken by sin and death. But we thank you that in Jesus you have come that he came and lived the perfect life that we could never live and died the death that we deserve 
so that our guilt and our sin and our shame could be placed on him and his life and his righteousness could be placed on us. Father God, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for those that are here tonight and they're just here on the invitation of someone else. They're just here with family and they don't have the hope of Jesus. They haven't believed, they haven't received the good news of great joy that light has come. I pray that right now you would convince them in their heart of hearts that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the light of the world. He has come and he is coming again. Oh, Holy Spirit, make this not just a story on a page or a celebration once a year, but make it the story of our life. Make it the purpose of our life. Make it the motivation of our life. Jesus, we thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for giving us this light and hope and peace. It's in your beautiful name we pray.